0: welcome to the amplifying optimism in education podcast where we connect with educators from across the globe who are creating a better future for learning and educating now by implementing bold ideas and fostering a sense of curiosity creativity and possibility alrighty we are here uh, hello Pam hello Josh <laughs> welcome uh, to our listeners and we have a uh, guest today hailing from Ontario uh, Frankie uh, Fernandez Hi Frankie.
1: Hi hello thank you so <laughs> much for having me
0: Sure sure we were just all chatting here getting to know each other a bit and um, uh, getting to know Frankie who has uh, recently founded the Spelling tree which uh, where she functions as a learning consultant and Works with clients one-on-one. She runs leadership conferences. She practices Tarot and all sorts of amazing things. Um, a all-around great educator and intuitive person. So um, wel- welcome. And, and we're so glad to have you here, Frankie.
1: Oh, thank you. It's such a, a kind introduction. I think you got all of my moving parts in that <laughs> long list of like things I like to try and hats I like to wear these days so thank you I'm really excited to be here Um, I think Josh was saying earlier that we have some like-minded philosophies and experiences in education some of my favorite topics to explore so this this is um, for lack of a better word magical
0: I like that word magical
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Excellent. So Frankie, let's just kind of jump right in and I'm curious to learn more about you and your journey and what brought you to the wonderful world of education.
0: Mm -hmm. Great question. Josh.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, What brought me to education? I had um, at a very young age some really wonderful teachers Um, and a a family member who was an aunt. I I was active in the figure skating community and had a lot of coaches and mentors um, in in music as well, who I so admired and and looked up to. And I thought, uh, well, I I really like school so much. Why not stay here forever and participate in creating these creative learning worlds where uh, we can have dynamic classrooms. I also saw, I think at a very young age, a need and a desire to create dynamic and active and loving classrooms uh, where we could honor the uniqueness of our students. And so I, I trained as a teacher, a drama teacher in Windsor, Ontario, in a very small program called Drama and Education, uh, where we spend a lot of time practicing how to use drama as an active medium to teach things like science and mathematics. Uh, We taught cell division by role-playing like the nucleus and using (laughs) toilet paper as strands of DNA. Uh, It was very 1970s feeling on our feet and, and that it really worked. And I knew it worked, but I couldn't articulate why in a scientific sense. Uh, so I got I got my teaching degree in K through six education and did my practicum and I just kind of felt this disconnect between what I wanted to do and what was being asked of me by professionals in the field. Um, and by the expectations that were being set out for myself, but also the standards put in place kind of for the students around me. So I thought that was really interesting. It was really hard to get a job as a teacher, as a classroom teacher in Ontario. And so I decided um, I would work in day camps in parks and recreation, doing what I love—being creative and really creating day camps for kids uh, that focus on mastery and creativity. Um, and from there, I kind of randomly got a phone call one day out of the blue, <laughs> asking if I wanted to work uh, 22 hours north by car in a subarctic region of Quebec in Canada. Uh, working on a reservation, doing education support, working with indigenous high school kids, helping them graduate. Uh, and I said, I said, yes, right away. I was terrified. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> yes. um, but it was really there that I learned more about social justice and systems of oppression and with what these um, teenagers and kids go through on a level and how that, you know, the world and the systems of oppression, um, work and hold students back and how we don't uh, necessarily see that in certain places or in um, white-centric classrooms and schools Uh, and so it's just like i was getting all this information and i was like in my mid-20s and what do i do and decided to get my master's degree in detroit michigan where i could go and uh, sharpen my literacy skills because I believe literacy was an important tool for power and for tackling some of those systems of oppression that I was seeing and experiencing. Um, and I started to work at an academic success center training tutors and using my drama education skills and my mm-hmm. kindergarten education skills to train them in active learning, and which was awesome because they these students, these college students were so used to sitting in the chairs all day and reading and writing. And I was asking them to be expressive and creative and how they were teaching each other science and math and business, and making it dynamic. And then comes in um, Angela Zanderdele-Sickler and the cognitive learning science team at Wayne State. And they're like, okay, but wait, all of this stuff you're doing with active learning is actually um, helping students' brains create new neural pathways. They're actually enhancing their memories by this active learning that you're doing. And it all started to click. It makes sense. And I could back up all of these creative avenues with the science of learning. And that's when I was like, aha, this huge light bulb. I met Michael soon after at the Learning in the Brain conference. That was in New Orleans, right, Michael?
0: I wish. It was in Boston. And that's where was, I met Josh.
1: Oh, it, it was, was in the teaching and learning was. New Yes, oh my gosh, Boston it was so and I'm seeing fun.
0: this parallel reality where we met in New Orleans at that one. And what <laughs> would we have gotten beignets? Would, would we have gotten we to know have... each other faster? <laughs>
1: oh my gosh, you would have been, see you would have, Angela was with me at that one as well. I think that's oh. where I'm getting my wires crossed, but uh, we would have been, you know, get pride and walking around, there at parades. It was so, so much fun. We'll have to go there again sometime. <laughs> Hopefully the conference goes back there. Yes. But, but yeah it was just being able to put together all of these suspicions with tangible researched evidence and that was so so cool um long story short long story longer now (laughs) i'm in the middle of ontario my family my small family moved back to ontario we're in the middle of um ontario just a couple hours north of toronto and i decided to take what I know and what I do and create a learning consulting business. I'm the sole proprietor. Um, as a learning consultant, I meet with all kinds of students and their parents and their family. It's really helped support people of all, all ages uh, during this pandemic mm. to try and help people become independent learners um, and cultivate things like mindfulness and positive spaces within their home, very intentional spaces where they can be self more self sufficient, because I think we all have the tools to be great self teachers if we want to. And a lot of times we just don't know how to do that or we have these beliefs that we cannot. So I think that
3: I'll leave it there. I love your story, Frankie. and. It's just, it's just vibrant, and there's so many things that you pull together. I, I'm just wondering, you know, how you convey this, this ability and, and this desire to kind of take a leap sometimes in your life to the children that you interact with and even to the adults.
1: I, I think what I bring it back to for the students is if you – are unhappy. I bring it back to almost like an emotional center. If you are not happy, you do not like where you are or what you are doing, you are conditioning your brain um, to not like the environment that you're in or the content that you're going to be learning and interacting with every day. And I also ask them through mindfulness to focus on things like gratitude and control, because we don't always have a choice about where we are or in the place that we find ourselves in. So by practicing things like um, gratitude, we can focus on the small joys and the things that we do have control over every day. So we start to take in the beauty of maybe our natural world. Even when we're in a city, maybe we have a potted plant you know, in our classroom that we can name and we can care for and we can cultivate some growth with and starting to show them uh, the beauty and the joy in in small things. So we can build those connections in our brain of appreciation Mm. and make them stronger and the gratitude to see. And from that, we're really planting small seeds of possibility Mm. because we're starting to see the world in like a completely different way. Because I didn't, I didn't always see the world like this. I didn't see myself like this. And it's something I still work on every day is changing my thought process and my perspective around struggle. And um, I think for students, when we talk about things like mindset, right? V- viewing struggle as a positive thing and the, almost the pain of it, it's a very physical pain that we feel when we struggle. Mm-hmm. And then, yes how can that struggle be a positive thing? Does it mean that I'm learning and growing? Um, and, we, and giving them tools to express those feelings I think is very, very important.
2: Yeah, I agree completely. I have a whole chapter in my book about my challenge cycle. So similar, to what you're saying is helping students to view that struggle or that challenge as an exciting opportunity. And I'm curious what you're seeing now, especially in the midst of a pandemic, where students mindsets and mentalities are already being affected large scale. What are you noticing in terms of how students come to you versus after they've been able to work with you and to see how you can look at just a a small thing like a plant in your room and really like bring yourself to the moment. So I'm curious that change that you've been seeing recently within students and families.
1: I will say, the biggest, I think, common denominator trend I'm seeing um, through this time with adults I'm working with and children is a uh, difficulty focusing and concentrating and coming back mm-hmm. um, and, and just being able to like make a to do list is huge. Have a structured schedule. So for me, I know that I have I have so many ideas and I can get very like spacey in lofty in what I talk about. And so for me, I really had to hone it in and say, okay, there are three things before we start anything. There are three things that we need to focus on for you. And w- that's where we have to start always. With any student I'm working with, we always start in the same thing. And it's a uh, place and space of learning. Or where, even with working working adults, I do this too. What is your environment like? And when are you trying to work? So important, it's a setting. A student who works at 11 o'clock at night you know, and is exhausted is going to have a very different experience as someone who works maybe at one o'clock in the afternoon after they've had a beautiful lunch and a glass of water and they feel settled, right? Uh, number two, the strategies that we use so the specific learning strategies that we use are very important. Um, when we do things like re- just rereading things we don't understand over and over again, it's very different then teaching someone else the information. So how can we make small manageable changes in our studying? And then the third thing is our uh, wellness. So that word gets used a lot lately, wellness. Mm-hmm. But if we're physically and mentally unwell, if we are sick in some way, too stressed even, too, too anxious to work, then that's also going to affect um, anything that we're trying to do any success that we're going to have. So we start with those three things. Maybe we might pick one that they really kind of uh, gravitate to. They're like, oh, I know my focus is the worst. I'm like, okay, let's just, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what do you do instead? What are you avoiding? What's procrastination look like and feel like to you? Um, And I think with me over time, what we start to see is a greater awareness I ask almost all of my students to start a, a journal to develop metacognition or self-talk. So that they think a lot about their thinking, a lot about their process. And I ask them to journal about the start of their day and the end of their day. And the, like the successes and challenges in between, even if they're only journaling, you set a timer like, for five minutes and just see what that process does over time. Uh, I cannot offer, i never offer quick fixes or A's, I can only offer a greater awareness um, and and science based research uh, strategies. That's it. And I I ask them to kind of invest in a little bit of trust, you know. And let's and let's meet three times, and see if you want to keep meeting after three times. Cool. Fantastic. Uh, some of them do, and some of the adults get it right away, and they're like, you know what, three times, awesome. I'll come back if I need you. And that's awesome because I don't want anyone to be dependent on me. That's never the goal. Uh, I want you to be independent while utilizing a a community of support. If that makes sense, there's that balance there. You need to be independent, but it would also be wonderful if you could access a community of support that understands, listens, and offers you uh, some kind of resource to grow.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's about helping our students to, help themselves to get what they need because yeah. they absolutely have the ability and the know-how if taught and if it's explained and if there have steps and strategies, like you were saying, So that's why I love how you really broke it down into those very important three step processes to even just begin. Cause I think that's the important thing is sometimes people it's so large yeah. how do we even begin? So yeah. I'm curious then after those three sessions when they're like, okay, I'm seeing some good stuff. What's that look like? <laughs> what, what happens there?
1: So I'll give an example of a student I'm working with right now who will, I'll say, you know, how's it going? They say, everything's good. Everything's great. Oh, that's, you know, that's awesome. Everything's good. But tell me like what's going on today specifically, right? With the home. Well, actually
3: <laughs>
1: I've, I got this. Test coming up and I don't understand uh, the content. Well, and, okay, well, what don't we understand about the content? And really kind of just peeling back the layers, right? Of what, what's confusing, is there anything confusing? Is there anything that's causing a little bit of friction today? Um, and come to find out this person was waiting for a, a tutor or a teacher to, to give them the answer to something they wanted explained. And I, we just had a conversation about, well, where can we maybe find the answer ourselves? What strategies can we employ? You know, we come to find out this person is skipping the first part of the textbook. They're doing a lot of learning at home. And they had tried to jump into a bunch of problems and questions um, and skip that, you know, those paragraphs in the beginning of the textbook that conceptualize math and give us concrete examples. That, I always did that as a student, I was not a model student, by the way, not, I think I came into this because of that realization that everything I was doing, I was helping myself. I was trying to fit kind of a model. I saw maybe as my peers or other people cutting corners and being successful and reading, reading together that page at the start of the textbook and just talking it out with them. It was like little light bulbs were going off and I was learning the math along with them. And I think for my students as well, helping them find when, when they're good, um, helping come up with like sustainable, I call them accountability partners, because we are such like communal beings as humans. We want to have uh, touchstones of support. Okay, so do you have a partner or a friend or a colleague at work who, you know, you can turn the camera on with and you can just work parallelly in parallel <laughs> with that person? so that they can help keep you on track uh you know I might give them resources and videos and and figure out you know what are some of the negative thoughts that you have around education and learning or your work day um and nothing's ever going to be perfect or feel you know we're cyclical beings life is a journey that looks more like a spiral or a tangle of you know not than a straight line that's one of my favorite memes it's like the, what people think success looks like and it's that straight upward incline and then what success actually is and it's this like tangle mess of knots So yes,
2: yes.
0: I hear um, just in hearing what you're saying Frankie another layer of your work that I think a lot of, a lot of educators are either doing or would like to be doing more of is really taking the time to ask the right questions mm. like you said the question "How are things going?" yields one answer, but when you ask the question, it's just a little more specific. And you know, for a kid especially, they're so in the moment. You ask them, "Well, how are your, how's it going right now?" You get a completely different answer. And um, yeah. what a you know what a nice just way to sort of see that there's
3: there are simple
0: processes to follow, but there's also other layers to what you're doing. What what teachers can really be thinking about sprinkling a little more of in in their work?
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's really important as a teacher to be curious. And I learned this from Gloria Steinem when she came to speak at Wayne State. She said, if you hold the most power in the room, then you need to be the greatest listener. Mm -hmm. And I think teachers hold so much of the power. In the room, yeah. in a way. And so we need to be really, really curious about our students. And I I mean, talking for me is not a huge issue. So that's obviously something that I need to work on in terms of not dominating a conversation. It's just another part of my learning process. And so I could I could tell students the right things all day long. Like I can give them all the resources. <laughs> I've done so much. Uh, exploration of what works, learning what doesn't. But I realize and I recognize it's not going to mean anything if we don't sit down together and practice, or I don't read their writing in depth, or listen to them about what's really going on, you know, at home or in one specific class, or even what they love. Like, what do you really love about art class? Or because that's going to tell me so much about what's holding you back in math.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering what opportunities you see right now during this time when there's uh, remote learning, there's blended learning, there's synchronous, there's asynchronous, there's in-person, there's all sorts of things coming together at this time. That, what, what opportunities are there for teachers and educators and students right now in this particular moment in time? Oh, I love that question. Um, thank you, Pam.
1: You just gave me, had an idea as you were talking because I, I, I've talked to Michael a yeah, little bit about- that.
0: Pam will do that. She'll give you ideas. You better watch out. You might get a good one.
1: Pam, I'm going to be calling you more often. I love that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> I, uh, at Wayne State, I did this thing called the Learning While Leading Conference where I encourage students to, who identified as leaders in any capacity on campus to create conference, active conference presentations for their peers and for faculty who are invited to come. And I think right now we were able to do the conference this year um, at a distance uh, over Zoom, it still went on. Students, I had the privilege of attending, they taught things to each other using um, different question and answer mediums on the Internet, using videos, being dynamic, having conversation questions. And I think right now in the middle of like the pandemic, we have the opportunity to turn over the process to our students and ask them, what are you so curious about What fascinates you about the world? Teach us, teach each other. Like I don't need to be leading class every day. I'm holding space for them to be like, artworks are the coolest, and I'm gonna create a little uh, activity and a quiz for everybody at the end of it, and like let them make mistakes and get messy and misfrizzle it out. Like we have (laughs) all of these amazing tools. Absolutely. Yes, like such amazing tools at our disposal. Like do a play, do a role play, make a movie, whatever it is that they're passionate about, let them light it up and take over for the day. Uh, I don't know why, like we couldn't let one student do that every morning and that's how we start. We talk about show and share, we put it on blast, right? And if they're not comfortable being in front of the camera, there's so many other ways that they can still uh, turn something in or turn a slideshow, whatever it is that they wanna share or learn about let them learn about it and like other lessons will come through that.
3: Beautiful. I, that's wonderful. And I, to really rethink everything that's happening in education right now would be just awesome. And even rethinking curriculum and how that works and everything else. So thank you so much for your, for your response to that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Now I'm all excited about these
1: ideas.
0: put <laughs> on a conference. <laughs> hey, you know. yeah. I'm I'm hearing this all, Frankie, and I and and I think I think any educator in the right state of mind, you know, when they're kind of in a receiving state, which, you know, nowadays a lot of teachers are, have a lot of trouble being in sort of a receiving and reflecting state, just because of the reality of, you know, learning new skills and things like that. So what what are you know for a teacher to maybe begin to approach? Um, you know, opening things up a little bit in their virtual classroom or even their physical classroom? What are some of the skills that those teachers who are kind of wanting to play with that, like, what are those skills that you use? What should they be thinking about to prepare themselves for that uh, lesson? Ah, That's a
1: good question. So if I'm hearing you right, we're talking about, like, how do they open themselves up to, like, Maybe like letting go a little bit yeah. of the process.
0: I think that's a and I think that's a skill as because we're all sort of more entrepreneurs in education now than we are in the classroom. Yeah. That for me is like, well, that's why like that's what I do. That's why I do this. But for a classroom teacher, that might not be the, the skills to focus on might not be that obvious to them, even though they have mm. them and they use them sometimes.
1: I think teachers. We're really good students a lot of the time.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. And they loved they loved being in a classroom and and they're comfortable in a classroom. A lot of teachers that I know that I've talked to. So when we try something and it doesn't work the first day, we're so quick to be like, well, that doesn't work. Or I have so many, I have so many teacher friends I've talked to before, and they're like, Yeah, good luck. Good luck <laughs> doing that in my school with my principal, with my right. class of kids. Good luck. And, and that's not everyone that I know. And I get that because you're so pressed for time, but the reality is then we talked about this too, Michael and I, that time is that construct where we feel that pressure that comes from where I'm not really sure. Um, but I think we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, just like our students, trying things Mm -hmm. more than once, uh, seeing failure as part of our own learning process as teachers mm-hmm. that we don't, we don't know what's gonna happen or be the result of it and that's okay. But it's making like small creative choices every day that are uncomfortable and sitting with it and saying like, okay, today I'm gonna try like one thing and being conscious about that one thing we're gonna try today and it's, I'm going to, you know, let one of my students teach us about whatever it is if that's something that makes them a little bit leery is that I don't want to hand over my class to a seven-year-old because <laughs> I know they might want to ramble about wait, whatever what's going on at home and we're just going to be quote-unquote wasting time but like that if we think about it from a different perspective that opportunity for that seven-year-old might be a huge deal in their growth and development in feeling wow. like they are a leader among their peers and being able to share with them even what they mom made for dinner last night okay tell us the the cooking process there could be a valuable information within that process and that story for the class about like nutrition creativity uh so many d- different things so we have to be comfortable allowing ourselves to be open to like what could happen that we don't anticipate yep. and see the importance of it that we might not even know, but we have to trust it. So I think going, coming from maybe an intuitive place, if that's your thing, uh, coming from a creative place, if that's kind of the framework that you want to look at it through. Um, And I think a valuable piece of information I learned training tutors was A lot of the times we want to fill negative space with our own voice. We want to talk because it's more comfortable to talk than be sitting in silence. And similarly, when we're asking questions, we don't employ wait time. So we don't give our students any kind of processing time and we value the loudest and the quickest to answer, especially in Western culture. You ever play a game around the world
0: Don't remember the game. Yes. I, I, yeah.
2: Yes. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. yes. For for the listeners, it's where you basically pit two people against each other and the fastest person to answer a question keeps going and you're rewarding the one that can get around the quickest, basically. Sounds terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> teachers love a lot of teachers love it. It fills time, it's speedy, it's competition based. Um, it makes students like myself, when I was a child, feel horrible. It reinforces the notion that I'm not the fastest. My brain is slow. I cannot process math as fast as everyone else. My teacher is not praising me. I'm a loser. And math is not for me. I'm not a math person. What if we set purposeful, intentional time in our day for quiet, for reflection, uh, and for seeing like what comes out? of a whole lot of nothing. What if we taught our students to be quiet in the pursuit of just something different? I think we have to have balance. There's lots of opportunities for competition and for loudness and speed. But what if we sat back and made, I think if we made intentional time for quiet, for stillness, for contemplative reflection, you might start might start to get lots of ideas. You might start to have students suggesting things that... Uh, they wouldn't normally have time to process and let bring to the surface.
0: Yeah, just to interject, you know, it's like, what horrible things could happen from quiet, perhaps some new ideas, <laughs> perhaps some new connections, perhaps unconscious processing that takes a student from point A to point B in some way that I don't understand as the teacher, but they got there, you know, and I, I think the metaphor I've been chewing on in my own life, more about just people and, and relationships and
3: projects and things like that.
0: And it's that, you know,
3: when an idea, when a
0: seed is planted, it's not like you pull the leaves out of the, you know, you don't pull the, the, the branch out of the stem or the seed, you know, and how much of uh, learning in schools is looked at, like we got to pull it, right? Mm-hmm. Both even cognitively and neuroscientifically, right? Growth happens. I-
1: yeah and going with your analogy and metaphor about plants is something i was brought to that was brought to my attention recently is how much of that amazing deep learning happens below the surface where we cannot see where the roots have to really take ground first and that is an invisible process to a lot of us we cannot see below the surface of what is going on within our students or um in their home life, cause home is very important. I don't, I, we're talking a lot about teachers and I'm kind of feeling amiss, not talking about, you know, the support of everything that's going on in their community or with their parents because I think teachers have sometimes an impossible job in that we are tasked with changing lives and it's- It's <laughs> It's not- What yeah, we not need that you to do
0: is completely change the lives of your students. That's it.
1: <laughs> right? Right. And that isn't completely daunting. Exact, and I think that's why we get a lot of high turnover rate and burnout because we are subject to these systems of government and power that do not necessarily always have our best interest at heart or that of our students and also have not built a community around their families. We don't know what the, where those roots are you know, cultivating when we're not around parents and I try to bring parents a lot into my practice as well because they parents really want their students to be independent and I bring it back to a science perspective when I say did you know (laughs) do we know our brains are not fully developed until we're 27 years old I don't mind that students need more support not necessarily people call it hand holding if you're looking at it from a negative point of view but maybe they need just someone in the room keeping them accountable keeping them focused and on track because because of their anxiety or their ADD diagnosis or whatever it is that you know they're struggling from that's keeping them uh, from maintaining focus that day
0: yeah there's a i think you're speaking because that that passion coming through i think is something that a teacher listening to this or an administrator would hear and say, that's what I'm saying. We're trying, but there's all of these other. there, all these other factors that doesn't matter how ritzy of a, you know, private school or how poor of a community school it is. There's, you know, other plants in the garden might be taking over the soil and you just don't know it.
1: Yeah. And in, in, In no way do I mean to say, like, oh, if you build mindfulness practice into your classroom every day, like you'll, your loud student who clearly has a lot of needs will suddenly like change and everything, (laughs) will will be great and creative and magical. No, I I don't mean to discount all of the other uh, effective things outside of the classroom.
3: I'm wondering a little bit more about uh, social justice and. systemic issues and how you approach that in your own practice and with educators and with students
1: I I'm going to speak from um, my experience at Wayne State University in Detroit uh, because right now I have incredible amount of privilege where I am where I don't believe I'm facing a lot of very apparent issues and um, systemic oppression with my current position, but when I worked in um, education at Wayne State University, I saw a quote once that, some, I can't remember what the exact words were, but it was something about how my my job should be um, to create dynamic learning experiences and opportunities for leaders, and I think that there's a lot of power in a community like higher education Where I can gather all these students around and say, you know, what can I do for you to put your voice on on a bit of a pedestal to let you be a leader in a way that maybe you haven't experienced before or even say like I see. A potential in you to do whatever you would like to do, how can I help you and I think mentors have a responsibility to create platforms for their students where they can be seen and heard and have opportunities um, to participate in new ways in a leadership role. And just by telling them, you can do this, I've created, you know, this block for you, stand on it and tell your story. Um, And at Wayne State, with I think one of the most incredible things they did, if you know the story of Wayne State University in Detroit, it's that we were the lowest performing school in the United States. Our graduation rate was 25%. And so what our uh, provost did and what the university, the president of the university did was they brought in more advisors and they started to create a class called learning with the brain in mind. For all of the traditional entering students who were you know, coming out of high school. Um, who are going to have a very difficult time transitioning to college we know higher education is a business so there are a lot of students that are being admitted without maybe the necessary skills we're investing in them as students and telling them when you get a letter in the mail from university being admitted the university is basically saying like we believe you can graduate mm-hmm. so we really needed to put kind of our money where our mouth was, (laughs) and say, well, if we expect you to graduate, we need to give you the tools because we know we're not cutting it just by giving you the classes. So we started to create seminar programs and tutoring programs. um, And there's specifically a a course called Learning with the Brain and Mind. So one credit course happens once a week for an hour, and it is growing exponentially. Hmm. And I mentioned Angela uh, Zanardelli at the beginning of this, podcast and I will mention her again because she's really the one who's going out there and taking all of these um, informations and research from people in neuroscience and cognitive neuroscience and creating programs and classes out of it so that students that's very friendly for students coming out of high school so that they can say I know what my needs are I know what my experience is I know how my brain works and I can take those skills strategies Um, and use them in any class that I go to. And that was such uh, an amazing thing to watch and to witness and to teach. And I think within, I don't know the year span, but I think we went from a 25% graduation rate in let's say like 2005, 2003. And currently, last time I checked, Wayne State's graduation rate was like around 55%. Hmm. Big increase. Huge, huge increase, I think given thirty
0: percent,
1: yeah. Yep. It's the fastest and you can I think there was an article written in I think the New York Times about how it's the fastest improving school in the country. It's amazing. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a lot of power. We have that obligation to our students because education is so expensive. And I tell my students this, if this isn't for you, if it does not feel great, there are other opportunities that might be more appropriate right now. College is not the be all end all for everyone. And if we are taking in these students and giving them the promise with an acceptance letter of an education, we better be graduating them and giving them every opportunity possible to do it. Because I had A horrible experience in higher education where in the school I was at in Canada if the professor would come in and say well sorry everyone had to get a C today because if the class average isn't a C I'm not doing my job and I'm penalized for it (laughs) it was just a completely different measurement system and they told us that that they would have to curve down or curve up depending on uh, what they were going to produce for their dean
0: (sighs) We all, we all know the history of the bell
1: curve. Yeah. It ain't pretty. <laughs> and, and faculty also, I could talk about higher education forever. Faculty also, I my heart goes out to them because they didn't necessarily go through an education training that equips them with the skills of how we create lasting memory in the brain, what studying could look like, how it doesn't need to be eight hour long cramming sessions how we could be strengthening memories by actually doing shorter uh, cycles of repetition and teaching other people and a more dynamic kind of approach. And I think that speaks to dismantling systems of oppression when we talk about what do we need to do for these students who are in communities um, that haven't been given the same opportunities as everyone else that are facing issues like white supremacy every single day. like we have an obligation to teach them how their brain works um, and what you know things like mindfulness and health can really do for you at the end of the day in terms of elevating your success and quality of life
2: Um, And and to unlock their passion right and to unlock their passion to help them to find out what they are really knowledgeable about and how to enhance that and help it to grow as we talk about, we keep using the analogy of of the seeds and the trees, but I think that that's really, you know, what you're saying here is that that's what, even when you were getting excited about the possibilities now in the midst of a pandemic, you know, it was all about giving the choice and giving student ownership over their own learning and their own processes and their own journeys and helping them to see that the passion that's inside of them, when given the opportunity to come out and to flourish It will, (laughs) it will, when given those opportunities and those, and those instances to allow it to really to come out.
1: Yeah. And I'll, I'm just going to add to what you said, Josh, that I kind of almost felt, always felt like I didn't know what my passion was. And I didn't, I always felt like I had to pin down also like, do I, is it my passion to be a kindergarten teacher? Is it my passion to be a drama teacher? And I was kind of misled. I kind of did this to myself for a long time where I felt like I had to have one journey or path or passion and come to like, kind of find out it's, it's that I love learning all kinds of new things and sharing it with people. And I kind of teach my students now, like just keep following like you said what you love and it will it will change and it will open things up and keep learning from people who are different even we need more cross collaborations between teachers and doctors and politicians and if that's something that you love is just talking to new people keep doing keep moving and choosing kind of the path that feels exciting in your body and, but I'm not sure, I think Michael and I talked about this the other day, how do we teach students the difference between their excitement, their intuition, and their anxiety? Because mm. we get these all these exciting feelings in the body and, and helping them kind of discern the differences between them, I think, would help them narrow down what am I excited about this? Am I nervous about it? Am I passionate about Have all these feelings, right? Yes
0: a yes, good him. description of being human. I have all these feelings. Mm. Um, <laughs> do do? You know, I'm in a glass just,
1: case of emotion.
0: <laughs> and just, you know, I mean, we could go on, we could, we could talk for a long time. I, I just wanted to share this with the group and with our listeners. You know, if you actually look at a picture of a neural network in the brain, you know, taken under a microscope, and you look at a picture of the root system of Really, any plant, specifically rhizomatic plants like mushrooms, ginger, mint, uh, grass. Most people can't. They look the same to most people. Most people will actually pick. They'll say that you know they'll point at the roots of a plant and they'll say that's a that's the neurons. And then they'll and it's it's just I think such an interesting metaphor for a lot of what you're saying, Frankie, and a lot of what you do uh, with the spelling tree in, in your work. Thank you.
1: And how amazing is it? I was thinking about this this morning as I was contemplating everything we might talk about that through like our behaviors and the choices we make. I can't think of another process in the body where we actually change and affect the cells in our body just based on the choices that we make and the things moving towards (laughs) the things we like or the things we don't like. How amazing that we physically are able, just by thinking about it and acting on it, that we are altering the cells. And that sounds, that sounds a little, in terms of like what we consider to be real and fake these days, With like, that sounds almost uh, unimaginable and kind of science fiction-y, doesn't it? But it's totally true. We are, by our will alone, reconfiguring the cells in our brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm I, trying always and struggling to think of a way to teach that to students and make it real mm-hmm. without it seeming like, I don't know, I think we don't give it enough credit. We don't uh, talk about it enough even with like the
3: littlest students.
0: It's a little thing that's very significant. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pam. But yeah, it's I, like pause. Oh, wow. <laughs> I,
3: I think all, all teachers need to understand how the brain works. And I'm not sure, I got my graduate degree a while ago, so I'm not sure if this is a course that is happening for educators everywhere, but it, it seems like it's such a, almost a quote-unquote no-brainer that you need to know about the brain in order to teach. And I, I've learned so much from, from what you've said.
0: It's a um a, just to interject real quick, I always when people are like, Oh yeah, we, we're I'm going to a brain-based learning workshop, I'm like, and what other type of learning is there?
1: Oh my gosh, <laughs> what are you doing?
0: Please,
1: <laughs> please have me back. We can talk about all the myths of the brain that like teachers uh, are still coming out of education programs saying things like right brain versus left brain. I'm like. Why? Please do not tell your student there are only two dimensions of their brain and they have to pick one that will right. dictate the rest of their life.
2: Our I'm listeners, sorry, can... I can't
0: participate. I'm left brain.
2: <laughs> our listeners can get all of this uh, in our extended 36 hour. Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Guys, I have to upgrade my Zoom space if we're going to go that long. Uh, thank you, Frankie. Any last comments or questions or parting words from the group, or from Frankie, for Frankie, with Frankie? (laughs) Mm,
1: I have said so much already, I can't think of another thing to (laughs) impart on all of you. Please find me on um, Instagram, at The Spelling Tree, uh, if you like to reach out or talk, um, I would be more than happy to continue these conversations. I'm not able to take any, cl- any clients in the United States at the moment because of just business restrictiveness in Canada right now. Um, but um, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you, I love you, I love you. is something I always say at the start and close of anything project that I'm doing. So thank you for this opportunity. I love it. I'm so grateful for it. Um, and happy, happy learning and teaching and just all the best.
2: Thank you so much, Frankie. Thanks so
3: much. It was great.
0: Josh and I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of Amplifying Optimism in Education. Please join us next week for another new episode in conversation with an innovative educator from around the world.